right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another Mining Matters podcast presented by Fisher Phillips. I'm Chris Peterson. And with me, as always, is Arthur Wolfson. Arthur, how are you doing? Doing well, Chris. Happy New Year. Got our first bit of snow here in Pittsburgh, so it feels like winter has arrived. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We've all survived the holidays, and I, I think it's fair to say we're off to a great start in 2022. Um, you know, I know all eyes are are on that OSHA ETS Supreme Court argument, which is happening, you know, while we're recording this. Um, last I heard, it sounded like OSHA was um, prevailing, at least in the oral argument section. A lot of the justices were pretty harsh in their questioning of uh, industry counsel. So we'll see how that works out. But yeah, you know, kind of getting back into the groove and. Um, you know, Arthur and I were thinking about a good topic for today's podcast, and we're kind of, you know, going back to basics to an extent here, right? We're thinking, um, you know, now more than ever, I think it's important to kind of review some of these basics, uh, you know, with high pace of retirements and replacements, if any, you know, that may be unfamiliar with mining, certainly unfamiliar with your operation, you know, are you going to have you know, coal inspectors inspecting, um, you know, metal on metal mines, for example. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about how to handle an MSHA inspection. Now, obviously, this is a, a subject most of you are hopefully intimately familiar with. Um, but, you know, obviously with, you know, MSHA's required inspections, you know, this comes up, you know, either once a quarter, twice a year, you know, whatever it may be, depending on your operation. Uh, so we thought we'd review kind of some of the best practices that we've seen. Um, you know, I know a number of inspectors that have retired as, you know, the from the beginning of the year. That's, you know, as I mentioned. And um, certainly, you know, a couple of CLRs, you know, regular conference litigation representatives that you typically have, um, you know, either conferences with or, you know, settlement discussions if you're in the contest process. Um, so these individuals, you know, may be changing over. So, you know, again, just kind of reviewing some of these basics and, um, you know, kind of thinking about what can you do going forward to kind of protect yourselves and protect your operation. So, Arthur, what are you what are your thoughts on handling an MSHA inspection in these crazy times we find ourselves in today? Yeah, thanks, Chris. I mean, this is a topic that, you know, nobody's perfect at. We're all constantly learning. And I think the thing to recognize is that, you know, the Mine Act is a strict law. It's a strict liability law, and it provides MSHA with a warrantless inspection authority, which means MSHA can come on your property without a warrant, yeah. which is unlike just about every other law in <laughs> America, yeah, including the OCHAT for those that come from an OSHA background. But the flip side of that is, is it does afford companies the certain rights um sort of in recognition of the authority that MSHA has yeah. and it's really incumbent upon the company to avail themselves of those rights if they want to protect themselves as best they can and i should say that it the the, the mine act also affords the miners rights to have representation during an inspection mm. um yeah. Our audience, you know, our client base is, is, is more company focused. So that's where we're going to lead uh, this podcast. But but the, the rights of the miners are there as well. 
And I think that um, one of the things we have to recognize is that sort of the, the primary right in, in handling an MSHA inspection that the Mine Act affords the company is the right to have a, a, a company escort or representative yeah. who's, who's with the, the inspector. And, and in my mind, um, that person is really at the front of protecting the company, asserting the company's interest. That person plays such a key role. Don't, don't you think, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was just thinking in terms of, you know, so many folks um, at the various operations, you know, we deal with are familiar with that, right? So they have a point person designated, you know, MSHA's on site, whether it's a safety manager or a safety professional, they have someone who's trained up to walk with and accompany an MSHA inspector. And I think that's so key, right? I mean, I think that's probably the fundamental, um, you know, person or aspect of dealing with an MSHA inspection is having that person there. Because um, as we'll get into, Arthur, and I'm sure you agree with this, right, is, um, you know, it's all about providing information to AMSHA during an inspection. And then also, you know, being able to answer questions that come up, you know, whether it's from hourly employees or, you know, whatever kind of issues that you're dealing with. But as long as you have someone involved in that process, you're immediately much better off than, than if an AMSHA inspector is walking around your operation on a company. Yeah, and one thing that's absolutely true, Chris, and one thing to, to point out to our audience is that the Mine Act um, provides that the operator will have the opportunity to have a company yeah. escort, and that's the key word, opportunity. MSHA doesn't have to wait if you don't avail yourself of the opportunity, and they will send an inspector around unaccompanied. We've seen it before. Yeah. Um, now, MSHA cannot deny you the opportunity to have a company escort. Um, I have, in fact, been involved in a case where we had evidence thrown out that was obtained by an MSHA inspector when the inspector said, you may not call anyone to accompany uh, the inspectors. There were multiple inspectors on an impact inspection. The judge found that was a violation uh, committed by MSHA uh, in denying the company that opportunity. But if the company doesn't avail themselves of the opportunity to have that escort, the inspector is within his or her rights to uh, um, inspect the facility unescorted. So you don't want to be in that position particularly important on off shifts, you know, your evening shifts, yeah. midnight shifts, weekends. Weekend, um, and yeah. then also if MSHA shows up with multiple inspectors, what are you going to do? These are things you want to have in place ahead of time. Um, contingency plans so that if your regular company escorts aren't there, who's going to be there if MSHA shows up? Because with that warrantless inspection authority, they can walk through your site whether or not someone's with them. So Chris, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what the what do we want to see? What are some best practices from the company escorts that that um, we think they should consider? And then maybe how, how has that played out in your practice in representing companies uh, over the years uh, in disputes with MSHA? Yeah, so I mean those are those are all really great points, and and I thought what we would do is kind of talk a little bit about, you know, um, managing an MSHA inspection 
from an attorney's perspective, right? So if we were to get a case, best case scenario, what are we looking for? You know, obviously we're not there at the time of the inspection. We're not there making legal arguments um, during an inspection, which frankly would most likely be counterproductive anyway, right? But um, at the end of the day, you know, when I get a case in and, and you know, we've got some compliance issues that we're contesting, um, you know, I'm looking for information, right? So what is that? Well, it depends. It depends on what we're looking at. If it's a technical issue, um, you know, hopefully someone who is familiar with the processes and procedures of the piece of equipment um, has been talked to or, right, I have their name so I can call them and we can chat through, you know, particular issues and get the specifics and get the detailed information, right? Um, and in other cases, whether it's a housekeeping issue or accumulations of combustible materials, photographs are always great. If you're talking about um, you know, unguarded areas, for example, where work is being performed, maybe we need some measurements, right? Where are folks in, in regards to you know, the alleged unguarded uh, piece of equipment, for example, right? Um, and then some explanation of what was going on. And again, an understanding of the processes and procedures. So it varies, but the more meat on the bone that I can get along with a particular citation saying, you know, Chris, we want this vacated or we want non-SNS or this is an unwarrantable failure, you know, whatever it might be, right? Um, you know, the devil's in the details, right? As much detailed information that we can get, and that may sound obvious, right? But, you know, so many folks that we see that are accompanying the inspector, maybe they don't take notes, right? They might be chatting the inspector up. They might have a vague idea of, okay, you know, what minors did they see on the inspection? But the more detailed information, well, you know, names, locations, those types of things, um, you know, we are much, much better off in terms of, of you know, chances of success in, in any sort of contest proceeding. What are your thoughts, Arthur? Anything different? Did I miss anything obvious that you feel like is really important in your practice? Well, I, I completely agree, Chris. And just to highlight one point you made about the detail, um, the quantitative evidence that we're able to get, the numbers, the measurements, um, lengths and widths, that types of thing, um, helps so much more than the generalities. I mean, how many times have we seen a, a citation written by an MSHA inspector stating, you know, a housekeeping violation, the spill was extensive, yeah. and that's it, right? And then our client says, no, it wasn't extensive. The walkway was 12 feet in width, and the spill was only three feet by 18 inches. We are in such a much better position than that MSHA inspector at that point, because he or she is gonna say it was extensive. And if, we're, if all we're able to say is, no, it wasn't, mm -hmm. well, then it's just a he said, she said type of thing. But if we're able to prove it with those measurements, we're in a much better position. And frankly, I would expect that case to settle uh, because I would expect the government CLR or attorney to recognize they have a weak case. And like you said, that sounds obvious, but, but you know, when you're in the, the heat of the moment and, and, you, and you've worked a full day, you know, walking around with an MSHA inspector, sometimes those obvious things 
you know, you can forget them. You, 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 you're, you're just, you know, you got a lot going on, but it's just sort of training your mind that when those issues come up, how do I get that information? Whether it's photos, whether it's measurements, really makes all the difference. The other thing I'd point out is getting that information right at the scene at the time the inspection's issued. Yeah, you know, our inclination, we have to abate a citation when it's issued. We want to get it abated. If it's a safety concern, we want to get that corrected. We also don't want production to go down. Any number of reasons. We want to get it fixed immediately. And that's a good thing. But you can't recreate the scene later. So you got to capture that scene as soon as it's happening if, you, if you're trying to gather information um, to provide to contest the citation to make your point down the road. And, you know, that, again, is training your mind to do that at the moment. It's spotting the issue. What is it? Is it, you know, I don't think that should be non-SNS. I don't think that should be violation, a violation. And then gathering the evidence to provide to back up your point. It really is a skill takes practice and takes training. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the folks that are in the better position are the ones that, that prepare for it and, and, and train for it. You know, that you're right. I mean, that is so key, you know, talking to a lot of folks, um, you know, that deal regularly with them, just whether a company, the inspector or not. Um, it's, it's almost like an attitude issue right? Because you raise a great point, you know, maybe you've just worked a 12 hour shift and here comes MSHA and you're walking along with the MSHA inspector and your thoughts are, you know, I'm tired. I've just worked a long day. I get to get up early tomorrow morning and get back to it. Um, and, you know, you're, you're kind of, your approach to an inspection at that point, it's kind of, um, you know, it's a burden, not something you're necessarily wanting to do, you know, those kinds of things. So if you do have some level of training on how to handle an MSHA inspection, I think that at the very least gives you kind of something to fall back on. And then just familiarity with the process, right? Being familiar with what MSHA can and can't do and how to answer certain questions. I think if you're operating from a position of knowledge and strength like that, um, you're gonna be better off as well, right? Just knowing um, you know, how to handle certain situations as they come up. Now- I agree on the. I agree on the knowledge point, Chris. You know, I give trainings on um, uh, to to managers on 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 handling an MSHA inspection and best practices. I always start those trainings with just a little bit of the law. You know, what mm -hmm. is it? What is the definition of SNS? You know, you know, distilled to its essence, it's a reasonable likelihood of a serious injury or illness occurring as a result of a condition. Um, and you know, that's a that's a, a, a a basic definition, but, but, you know, I think that's something every company escort should know. What is an unwarrantable failure? It's yeah. aggravated conduct constituting more than ordinary negligence. You know, I think training your folks who, who are with MSHA on a day-to-day -day basis on these basic terms, you know, what's an imminent danger or what, you know, that type of thing, very critical. Yeah. Um, again, it's the basics, it's the basics, but it, but it can make all the difference, you know, that, if we get to a get to a hearing um, before a judge, very rarely are there are there any kind of lawyer tricks that we can play. You know, it's not what you <laughs> see on TV. Yeah, it's really about who has that information geared toward the arguments you want to make that's going to prevail. Um, you know, so 
What, you know that, and that's I a great point. Oh, go ahead. I just, I just, I just remember a conversation I had with a client. Uh, we were involved in an investigation, and uh, you know, after several days of interviews and whatnot, he turns and looks at me. He's all like, "You know, I'm learning a lot here." And I think the biggest takeaway is that even lawyers can't change the facts. <laughs> no, <laughs> and uh, I agreed with him. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's not about you know misrepresentations or you know smoke and mirrors. It's you know, the facts are what they are, right? And so you got to know what you're dealing with, you know, in order to make, you know, good decisions, right? One way or the other. So, yeah. One, one other point I wanted to, I wanted to get your take on, Chris, how about dealing with the inspector? You know, you're a company escort walking around with this inspector. It becomes a personality thing, right? Everybody's different. Everybody's a different personality. What and sometimes we can get caught up in that. What are what are some best practices for dealing with the inspector, talking with the inspector, sharing information? Can you give some thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because MSHA has this inspection authority, right? They are required to inspect your operation. Probably in the most of the time, you are going to see individual inspectors over and over again, right? You may get an out-of-town inspector every once in a while, some fresh eyes on your operation. But for all intents and purposes, you're going to be dealing with the same enforcement personnel um, for a number of years, right? And so you're absolutely right, Arthur. In my mind, it does come down to personality issues, right? If you recognize that a certain inspector has certain tendencies, um, be aware of that, right? So if you're I always encourage communication with the inspector, right? You gotta be professional, you gotta be cordial, but I prefer open communication, right? If MSHA's looking at something, the inspector has questions, yeah, answer the questions, provide basic information. You're not admitting guilt saying, oh yeah, you know, I really screwed this up, right? We're not talking about that, but you're saying, okay, this is how this works. This is why this guard is here. You know, this is what we do. This is how we do maintenance, you know, whatever the issue might be. But I always encourage open, free flow communication. Now, right, honestly, there are some inspectors uh, that do not react well to being questioned, right? Even basic on a basic level, like why do you think that's a violation or why is that SNS? So, in those types of scenarios, right, if you're seeking information, right, which was something we encourage, but you think questions or interactions is only going to make it worse or inflame the situation you know, obviously have an understanding of that, right? Adjust your approach. So I think having some fluidity or some, um, you know, built-in flexibility in your interaction with the MSHA inspector is key, right? Know who you're dealing with um, and know the most effective way to communicate with that individual because, yeah, it's so much of it comes down to, to personalities. Now, Arthur, here's a question for you, though. What happens Right. When you do have a disagreement with an MSHA inspector, how far do you recommend that your clients take those issues? Right. Pushing back, you know, at the time of the inspection, pushing back against the inspector. What what your, what's your advice generally on those types of scenarios? Well, I'm going to hesitate to give the it depends lawyer answer. I'll get <laughs> right. to that. I think the first thing is you need to be assertive. 
you know, even if even if you think the inspector isn't going to take it well, I think you need to be assertive. You cannot be passive. Mm -hmm. You need to make your point. I think the it depends comes in is in how you make your point. Yeah. Um, you always want to be professional. You always want to stick to the facts um, and not make it personal. But, you know, if you made your point and the inspector is um, not reacting well, is that the time to say, OK, I've made my point and this is as far as I'm going to take it? Yeah. Maybe it is. If you see an opportunity to, to continue to engage with the inspector and hopefully move the needle in his or her thinking, then, you know, do that. Here's the one thing, though, I would I absolutely advocate no matter what. Write it in your notes that you disagreed, yeah. because it will come up later whether or not you said anything at the time um, or whether this is an after the fact sort of creation uh, of an argument, maybe after you talk to your lawyer or something. But you want to memorialize it in your notes. I disagreed. I made the point that, the, that you know, um, this area wasn't frequently traveled when the inspector thought it was. You want that in your notes. Um, and hopefully you can ask the inspector to put it in his or her notes. They may not. But at least if you have it in your notes, it's memorialized. Yeah. Yeah. No, Chris, that, uh, that's a great point. Yeah. We're uh we're coming up here probably towards the end of our our uh our session. Hey, any uh any last minute kind of super uh success stories or or or, or, or cautionary tales you want to leave our listeners with before we sign off today? <laughs> oh yeah. So I guess I've got a I've got a I've got a good example and a bad example. Um so one of my, you know, longtime favorite clients, we were at a hearing once and I put on a witness. Um, it was an hourly employee, um, which, as you know, right, you're always taking I don't I wouldn't say a risk with an hourly employee. Right. But, you know, sometimes they're not as forthright with you as you may hope. Well, anyway, so this hourly employee gets up and he's a witness and he did such a great job because he was telling the truth. He believed in himself and doing the right thing and was so knowledgeable, not only in responding to my questions, but the judge had some questions for him as well. Um, and I, that still stands out, just that level of competency where you may not expect to find it, right? In an hourly employee, but that level of competency when he was testifying was hands down still probably one of the best. And, you know, I am an expert lawyer, right? But it was still one of the best uh, examinations of testimony that I've ever had, you know, to this day. Um, on, the, on the same side, I guess the opposite side of that same coin, I also had a, a witness uh, testify. And, and when I say testify, you know, explain the basis of basically why we're contesting and why we don't think this is true. And we don't agree with the SNS, so on and so forth. And this individual gets up and uh, you know testifies to everything that he had told me. Um, and then opposing counsel gets up and asks him, "Well, you weren't even in the area, were you?" And um, he says, "No." 
And I, uh, I just about fell out of my chair because that was news to me, right? He had, he told me he had been there the whole time, but apparently the inspector tells opposing counsel saying he wasn't even there. And um, yeah, it turns out that uh, his story changed a little bit once he got on the stand. So um, going back, right, to information and hard facts, that's what we want to depend on, not necessarily people's representations of what might have happened uh you know once upon a time so <laughs> some cautionary tales yeah. how about you arthur do you have any uh good war stories that you want to share yeah I'll, I'll i'll start with my bad one and then i'll end with a good one and that will we'll kind of leave our audience with a there success story the bad one is this was my first hearing i ever tried on my own and the company escort i had a series of photographs and on the stand he forgot that he took the photographs oh. um not so good. Now, in those days, it was a lot longer of a time frame between when these citations were issued and when we went to hearing than maybe right. it is these days. But uh, even so, not so good. So if you take photos, uh, put that in your notes so that you remember you took them. Uh, <laughs> good story. Um, had a company escort uh, at an underground coal mine once. Was with an MSHA inspector. They're in an old area of the mine. See a roof bolt plate that's painted orange and the roof bolt plate is bent. The inspector is going to write them for a, a deficient roof bolt under 75202A. And the inspector verbalizes to the company escort, since that's painted orange, somebody was trying to make management aware of it and you guys didn't do anything. So I'm making it a 104D, unwarrantable failure. The company escort takes a look at it and in his mind, he says, wait a second, that's not right because that plate is bent. And if you look where it's bent, there's actually orange paint. There's no orange paint underneath where it's bent, which means it was painted orange before it was bent, mm -hmm. probably because there was something else going on in the roof that had already been dealt with probably years ago. This mm -hmm. is an old, old area of the mine. Yeah. So he said, that's not right. The orange painting was not to alert the company that this bolt was being bent. It was for some other reason. Therefore, the inspector's theory of a 104D is flawed. The company escort got a couple of pictures that showed that there was no orange paint under where the plate was bent to prove his point. He also wrote up uh, in his notes, exactly what the inspector said, what his point was, a description of his photos, and why he took those photos. For some reason, MSHA wouldn't back off of that one. We ended up going to court. That is probably the easiest case I've ever litigated. Oh, yeah. I put the company escort up on the stand. His name is Mike. Mike, if you're listening, <laughs> you're a rock star. We won that case because of you. It wasn't because of me. <laughs> and that was my best example of a company escort listening to the inspector, spotting the issue, gathering the right information and memorializing it. So I'll leave us with that for today. And um, again, Chris, looking forward to uh, some more episodes down the road yep. uh, to provide some information to our audience. Um, any last words before we sign off? No, I think this has been great. Um, you know, obviously, as we go through 2022, we'll, we'll get you some more, 
you know, great episodes. But if you have, and I'm talking to our listeners, if you guys have any ideas of what you'd like to hear something about, um, don't hesitate to reach out, right? We're, you know, obviously accommodating and, um, you know, happy to talk about and discuss anything related to mind safety. So, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll talk to you all next time and uh, be safe out there. Take care, guys. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. Thank you.